Always build each other up. Be cheerful. Hold on to what is good. And thank God no matter what happens. God himself will put you together, spirit, soul, and body. If he said it, he'll do it. Well, kia ora. good morning, everybody. I'd like to extend a special welcome to visitors amongst us today, those of you who have uh, trekked to the, the Bay of Plenty, that most prophetic word ever given to a, a piece of land in the history of the world. Uh, just thought I'd let you know what we think of our, our, our hometown and our home province. Uh, if I asked you who's from out of the region, let me know. Who's out of the region today? Today? I know where you live. <laughs> All right. Well, it's really good to have you amongst us. Hey, you know, we live in a world that is surrounded by constant information, isn't it? There's this, just this global power going around us that provides ongoing flows of information for us. And immediately when I say this, you default and think that's the internet. But I'm talking about something that's been happening for thousands of years, and that is the Spirit of God going around our world, filling our world with the information that we, need, that we need to be able to live a life that is good and godly, yeah? And so when we talk about uh, information, we've got to remind ourselves that long before the internet, God has been at play in the airwaves, ministering to us, ministering to his people for thousands of years. And we as a, as a church, we as a people of God, we are called by him to tap into what God is saying. And if we don't, well, we miss out. And so what we're saying this morning is that we, we're going to be looking at Scripture. We're going to be looking at this really strong word from Paul as he speaks to the Thessalonian church. And as he says that we need to hold on to what God is saying to us and don't quench what it is that the Lord would have us hear and us know personally and collectively. So let's have a look at our scripture for this morning. Uh, just a few scriptures, short scriptures. It says here, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And so as we get to the end of this book of 1 Thessalonians, as we've been going through it over the last few months, uh, we get to these final instructions where Paul is really hammering out some really strong points about what it is that he wants us to do, how he wants us to live our lives, how we are to live together as people, but connecting in with what God has been saying over the centuries, as well as reminding us that we have a future that is guided, led, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Over centuries, people have argued about what it is that God does in our world today. It's all very well to say that we've got the scriptures here and this is a great story of God's, God's interaction amongst us. But what is it about today that we have to hold on to and be reminded of? So there are two schools of thought. There's uh, the kingdom now theology, which says that everything that God has ever done is appropriated for us now, this side of eternity. So whatever you ask for in his name is guaranteed. Okay? Do you get what I'm saying on this? Kingdom now. 
And uh, technically, this is called overrealized eschatology. And you can go home and look that up over your Marmite and toast at lunchtime. But um, overrealized eschatology means that people are claiming what is in heaven for now, which is a great way to think, but it's a very difficult way to live because we live in a fallen world and ultimately you lose because you die, right? And so therefore, if you think you're going to have heaven on earth in its fullest, then you're going to end up being disappointed. At the other end, at the other end is the cessationists who believe that the Spirit of God basically went on holiday after the book of the apostles, the book of Acts was written. So there are no more spiritual gifts. There's no more manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There's no more prophecy. There's no more speaking in tongues. There's no more words of knowledge. And that in itself is really just saying that the scriptures are an old book full of moral uh, persuasion, full of moral influence and a good guy called Jesus whom we model our lives off. But there's no power to live the life that we're called. Now, Christianity lives in this tension. And this tension is, um, is really trying to work out the difference between whether Scripture is descriptive or prescriptive. In other words, it described what was or it describes what can be. Okay? So if I describe to you a situation that once was, you go, wow, that's pretty interesting. That's been great times. Or I prescribe to you the same experience, that means that you can live it too. So the scripture reminds us, as Jesus said, that we have been empowered from on high and God has given us his spirit to live a life that is empowered and effective. And it is the best life that we can lead. Okay, it's the best life that we can lead. Um, prophecy, as uh, Timothy, uh, sorry, as, as Paul describes uh, to the Thessalonian church is a, is a prediction. Uh, there's a typo there. Pro- prophecy is God's prediction or instruction being revealed in a specific situation. Okay? And so let me explain this again, holding on to this tension. We live in a world that is both natural and supernatural. Yeah? Natural and supernatural. Prophecy brings God's word into that middle ground, okay? Now let me state a case for this. Um, we know the natural world, we live in a natural world, we drive our natural cars on natural roads, we consume natural fuel, uh, etc., etc. That's the natural world. Supernatural is where God totally speaks for himself. Totally speaks for himself. Um, talk about business meetings at a Baptist church, which uh, really excites you all. Um, a few years ago, and I've told this story here before, the Lower Hutt Baptist Church wanted to know if God wanted them to sell their building and move to a cinema complex down in the middle of town. So they prayed and they fasted about it. They turned up for the business meeting and overnight, God had struck the church with lightning and completely ruined the roof of the church, melted all the copper and it blew a hole right in the middle of the church building. Guess what their decision was? <laughs> we better get out of here in a hurry. And uh, in fact, it's real fun because you go into the foyer of the uh, Lower Hutt Baptist Church, which now meets in a cinema complex, and there's a picture of the old church with, with the roof blowing off, or big hole in it, I should say, not completely blowing off. So there's God speaking for himself, yeah? But prophecy is God's word, God's spirit 
in the midst of us. And uh, what we can do is we can default to an idea that prophecy or the leading of God's Spirit, Him telling us what it is that we need to know, can be all about scary people with big beards walking around quoting King James English. Yeah? Hark ye there, thus saith the Lord of hosts. You shall not go to Auckland this weekend because the traffic jams will be terrible. Okay, so... That is a form of prophecy, okay, what I'm trying to describe there, but I'm not trying to mock it. What I'm trying to say here is that it's a lot, lot broader than just simply some man or some woman having a word for you. That is part of it, but it is bigger than that. Let me give you an example. Here's Psalm 1, a psalm that we all know really well. Let me just read it to you. Fantastic words. I preached on this last Sunday night. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now this word is locked in. It is immovable, unshakable and true in every circumstance. If you live your life Committed to the ways of God, you will be like a tree planted by a river. Your leaves will never prosper and you will produce fruit. You might have times when the chainsaw comes and chops a few branches off because life's like that. But you can guarantee when your days are over, people will say there was a person who lived God's plan and left a fruitfulness, a yield for everybody to see the goodness of God in and through their lives. And next generations will be blessed because of that. Okay? So here is a prophecy. It's a word locked in. It is true. It'll never change. It'll be true on every occasion. Now, uh, here's another prophecy straight out of the book of Acts. It's a different sort of prophecy uh, by a guy that seems to pop up a couple of times. We're going to have a look at him twice today. A guy called Agabus, A-G-A-B-U-S. And uh, he's a prophet, and this is in the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 11, it says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So here's a guy under the leading of the Spirit, stands up. He didn't have the Met forecast, okay? He didn't have the the 10-day forecast, the 14-day forecast, or the five-year forecast. This is the Spirit of God speaking to him. He stands up and he says, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be a famine. God has told us there's going to be a famine. So The understanding of this, of course, means that we need to prepare just in the same way that in the Old Testament, Joseph was given a dream, sorry, interpreted a dream, and uh, he told the, the Pharaoh in Egypt that there would be seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. So, so prepare for that. Okay, so Agabus here is predicting, he's prophesying, and it came to pass. Okay. So we can see how this works, quite simple. Now let's take it a little bit more personally. Same guy, uh, many years later, okay, as Paul is heading back to Jerusalem 
He knows that as an apostle, uh, he's been stirring things up. He's not very popular in Jerusalem because he said that those who weren't born as Jews can become followers of God in the Christian tradition. So he's in trouble. And he says, uh, so this is how the story goes. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea Philippi and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now let's just stop here before we get to the rest of the story. It's a nice little comment really being made, isn't it? Because we don't hear them prophesy but we're told that he has four unmarried daughters to, who prophesied. Now, you don't have to be unmarried to prophesy, and you don't have to, but what we're saying here is that all people are given this gift, women and men, okay? So these were women who prophesied. In what fashion? We aren't 100% sure, because prophecy in a New Testament setting is bigger than just thus saith the Lord. It is teaching, it is scripture reading, it is everything that is used to encourage people in their walk with God that lifts them into a place of revelation. But let's carry on in this little place here of Caesarea. It says, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, this guy with a good reputation already, isn't he? Came down from Judea, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? You love that? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Okay? A specific word. A tough word. A word that came upon Agabus once again and was very specific for Paul. Uh, Paul knew that he had to go to Jerusalem, but Agabus sort of got in there and said, Paul, if you go, this is what's going to happen to you. I don't think Agabus was trying to dissuade Paul. He was just giving him a heads up saying, this is going to be a rough and tough time for you, Paul. The people around him thought this was a word from God, which means that you shouldn't go because why go towards trouble? But Paul had already knew what it was that God wanted. Paul already knew what God's plans were for him. And even if it meant that he was going to lose his life, he was prepared to go. Um, some, some years ago, probably about seven or eight years ago now, uh, I was down at a pastor's conference in, in Hanmer Springs. And uh, it's, it's always a great time. I try to get down there regularly. And we always have lots and lots of prayer. Essentially, it's just a prayer retreat. And uh, so, uh, another woman pastor came one time and she said, Craig, can I pray for you? I said, hey, that's great. That's what we're here for. And she started praying for me. And as soon as she started praying, within about 20 seconds, she just stopped. And then she started crying. And then she said, it's so sad. It's so sad. And this went on for about five minutes. And there was a whole lot of other people around. And I was like, uh, <laughs> really? What's happening here? And um, anyway, after about five, went on a bit longer, just her just crying over me. 
I was like, okay. So I drove home from Hanmer at 30 kilometers an hour, <laughs> looking at every branch that I drove under, wondering what was going on, got on the plane, blessed it in the name of Jesus, asked God to bless the pilot, as you do. And I, I was a little bit shaken by this, you know, because this is a woman who had a good, good reputation as someone who heard from the Lord. Well, any of you who know my life in the last seven or eight years, there have been series of events in our lives that have been really, really difficult for us. Losing, losing the lives of friends. Uh, our son-in-law died. Um, my wife's younger sister died. And uh, a lot of other big challenges that we had to face. And, um, and I was looking through this time, I was like, wow, Lord, we really feel like we've been thrown in the fire here, you know? We're trusting like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego there, you know, in the book of Daniel, that Jesus, you're, you're in this fire with us. But for me, it was a time when I could look back at that prophecy and go, God warned me that there were going to be tough times and they would be really sad. And it wasn't that he was going to take these tough times away, but what he was saying is, I saw it coming and I've warned you and I'll let you know. And you know that God won't take you through anything more than you can handle, right? Yeah. So you're living in this tension once again of going through a tough time, but knowing God is going through it with you because he has foretold you that you will struggle and go through these difficult times, which is exactly what is happening in this situation to, to Paul because he knows as he goes to Jerusalem, that God has already told him he's going to have a tough time. But he's saying, that's okay. It even, even gives me courage because God reassured me that this is actually part of my journey. I won't call it my fate, but my journey. So prophecy uh, is a genuine part of our Christian experience. And the most important thing that we need to hear today is that we are called to not quench the spirit. Yeah? Because the word of God, that Rima word of God that comes to you personally or comes to us collectively uh, is up to you to receive it or reject it. It's up to you to go, ah, don't like that. God's calling me to repentance. I quite like my little habits. Yeah? Quench. Fire hose. Okay? And we can develop a pattern of that. We can develop a pattern of that where we're quenching the spirit. And after a while, our heart gets hardened. Yeah, our heart gets hardened. It's almost like the fire of God comes, but we've put on so much retardant, we can't even feel, feel the spirit of God coming into our lives anymore. Now, if you're wearing too much retardant, what does that make you? Anyway, I won't go. Yeah. Um, prophecy has to be authentic. Okay, I'll describe what I mean by this. Prophecy has to be authentic. Uh, for prophecy to be authentic, it must, must be no manipulation over the events. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean, a real simple example. If I stood here and said, tomorrow there's going to be cake on my table, and I went home and cooked a cake. Well, that's me manipulating the event, right? Making me look bigger than I am or better than I am. There's nothing very clever in that at all, okay? But it's simply a manipulation of events, Okay, um, for prophecy to be authentic, it must be specific. So when we find in the Old Testament prophets who hundreds of years before Christ pointed towards these events. Uh, for example, in the book of Micah, the prophet Micah, he, he said that the Messiah would be born 
in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, that little town in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem. Out of you will come from David's line a Messiah who would reign on the throne of God forever. Yeah? So that's very, very specific. And it needs to be 100% accurate. 100% accurate. Um, and and that, let me give you an example of what I mean by this. In the, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, the book of Deuteronomy, talking here about the word of the prophet, it says, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has, been spoke, has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presum- presumptuously. Is that what it said? Presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. Okay? So it has to be accurate. The scripture actually goes on to say a warning to the prophet. If, you are not, if you're not true, you will be stoned. Not in the legalized marijuana way of the word, okay? You will be stoned. You'll be put to death. So that in itself is a, is a word of warning to us. Don't run around thinking that you're God's little mouthpiece just trying to win favor with men because if your words aren't accurate, you're in trouble. Okay, you, in an environment of the New Testament, while we, we're always wanting to bring an encouraging word to somebody, if you're putting your name to this, you're putting God's name to this. All right? And that's really important for us to understand. So we live in the fear of God in respect to prophecy. Right? We live in the fear. Not in a, oh my God, he's going to waste me sort of fear, but man, this is a big thing I'm doing. When I draw alongside somebody and I say, hey, look, um, God could be doing this. What do you think? That you need to do with the fear of the Lord. I remember some years ago going and spending uh, a supper, having supper with a couple who really felt that God was calling to pastoral ministry. And so I sat with them and we talked this through. And as we prayed together, the Holy Spirit just fell on us like a thick, thick blanket. It was incredible. And we just all sat there and went, oh my God, that was all we could do. Just the power and the presence of God was so powerful. And that sort of finished the prayer meeting. There's only three of us in the room, but it was like, how much more confirmation do we need? I sort of crawled out of the room, you know, just being aware of the power and the presence of God. So God was certifying, you know, God was authenticating the hope or the, not so much the hope, but the, the sense of calling that these folks were experiencing. And I just happened to be privileged enough to be a part of that. You know, so you're looking for these, these signs from God that, that are bigger than just one set of spoken words. So what about prophetic art and prophetic actions? Because I really want to break this mindset amongst us that the prophet is the old guy with the big stick pointing at you and shaking and saying, in the name of the Lord, okay? So let's, let's just remind ourselves here of what, what I mean by this. Um, go to the Sistine Chapel. Who's ever had the privilege of seeing this art in Rome? It's outstanding, eh? Michaela and I were lucky enough to be in Rome a couple of years ago, and uh, we saw somebody on the street, and they said, hey, have you been to the Sistine Chapel yet? We went, no, not yet, uh, to, the, to the Vatican. And we said, no, nah. and they said, look, uh, come to my office. I've got uh, an early tour booked. You get there at 7 in the morning, and you get in before the crowds. It's like, sounds good to us. 
you know, might see the Pope in his jammies, you never know. <laughs> and uh, not that that, anyway. Um, so we paid our money, twice as much as you would have paid to go in at 10. And we walked around the Vatican and there was us and just 7,000 other people waiting for the early show. Okay, literally. But we got into the Sistine Chapel where there was room to actually breathe. Three or four hours later, there was hardly room to breathe. But this image on the, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel has captivated people ever since Michelangelo put it there, yeah? And when I say prophetic, it is prophetic because it speaks to us in so many ways. When you see those, those hands there, the hand of God so direct and pointing at Adam, okay? And Adam's sort of limply holding on or limply reaching out. And there's so much in there that talks to us about our relationship with God and how we, how we hesitate, yeah? And how we hold back and how we're uncertain, so this picture has, has acted as a, a prophetic picture of how it is we as people hesitate in the presence of God. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. So you, you, do you like this picture? Yeah, we love it, don't we? Okay? The other prophetic thing about it is that um, Adam was clearly built like a front row rugby player. And, and, I, and I think that is just outstandingly true, you know? The perfect image, the perfect man. A front row rugby player. Here's another uh, part of an image. Uh, Brian Pollard here is amongst us this morning, which I'm really pleased. Brian put together this piece of art back in 2010, 11, and 12. And this led to um, this artwork called The Key of David being created by artists all around the world. And Brian commissioned them. And the artwork was taken to London and displayed during the time of the Olympic Games. Now, the key of David, if you go to the book of Revelation, you'll find is a prophetic image in itself. But what Brian did was he took this image and he extrapolated it. Brian, um, if we took the, the original full-size um, canvases, how far around this room would it wrap? What do you think? Put them all side by side. Would it go from... 18 feet high, 72 feet long. Okay, so how many canvases involved? 144, the majority of them done by different artists around the world who Brian uh, sent the image and said, paint this and send it back to me. And it is an incredibly powerful image and uh, it's been, been a real blessing to many, many people. But again, prophetic art. Okay, moving on prophetic art, what about prophetic songs? Why is it this song, Amazing Grace, has stood the test of time? Why? Because it speaks to me. It speaks to me about my experience, and it speaks to me about the experience I want to continue in. Grace, God's amazing grace. And then you hear the backstory of this story, which we all probably know. John Newton, who was a captain of a slave trading boat, had an experience of God that totally transformed him, and he went on to become a vicar in a London church. And he wrote the words to this song. So when you think of his own story and his life transformation and you read these words and you go, wow, that, that's got to be me. That's got to be me. That's what we want. What about more locally and a bit more present? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Campbell Hill. And uh, Campbell here runs Good Neighbour with a whole lot of other folks. 
without any cost to people. He turns up to folks who are really struggling with his team and he cleans up their backyard, paints their fences, plants their gardens, and then walks away and says, God bless you. Okay, it's a really, really simple uh, picture of what Campbell does. But what he says there is that the spirit of God is live and active and the kingdom of God is here in your presence. The kingdom of God, here it is. You can taste it, you can enjoy it, you can experience this grace in your life. That is a prophetic sign that continues to be sponsored by so many different secular agencies around this city, but it's the kingdom of God at work. In the same way, when we go to the Philippines, we see uh, Warren and Pauline Curtis-Smith, who are working over there with the Davisons, and I think I saw Tim and Petrina earlier on. G'day, Tim. You guys are back. Welcome back. Um, If ever there was a, a word that reflected Um, God's heart, it's an orphanage. It is deeply, deeply prophetic in nature, isn't it? You were lost, but now you are found. You had hopelessness, now you have hope. Yeah? You had no future, but now you do. All of these things serve in a prophetic way. But the important thing for us is to ensure that we don't quench the spirit when we see what God is doing and how he is leading us into this. So come back to our scriptures and it says this, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Um, We can't treat prophecies with contempt. You know, there'll be times in your lives, I know there's been times in mine where people have come along and said, hey Craig, um, I think God's saying this to you. So what do I do with that? I take it home, I pray about it, I think about it, I talk to others about it, and I say, how does this apply to my life? What is God saying to me in this scenario? Okay? Three nights ago, um, I had a very, very vivid dream of another pastor. It was quite, quite compelling, quite, quite, uh, quite a tough dream. And so um, next week, I'm going to go and have a coffee with him and talk to him about what it is that I saw. And uh, it's the sort of thing that doesn't happen to me very often. So when it happens, you've got to say, I better respond to this. Otherwise, God will just start writing me out of the picture. You know, you only pass the ball to those who catch it, right? Yeah. And so I don't know what that means, but with some love and not too much arrogance, I'll say, what would this mean to you? Could this be something that God is saying to you? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So... These are the sorts of things that we need to do when we, when we get an edge from God and something is speaking to us, something is prompting us. We need to, to lean into that. We need to maintain that posture of humility, which says, God could be speaking to me. Yeah, God could be speaking to me or through me. And it's really vital that we remind ourselves that this global network of God's Spirit has been moving in our midst for thousands of years since the, the Spirit of God hovered over those dark and empty waters of the, of the earth. God's power, God's presence, and we as his people are called to, to be cognizant of it and to take seriously those promptings of the Spirit. We can live life our way or we can live God, God's life the way that he wants. Believe you me, there is nothing more exciting in your life. Nothing transcends the relationship that you have with God by the Holy Spirit. 
you get to hear, you get to see, you get to participate in what God is doing around the world. You can have fine dining. You can have sunsets and beaches. You can have fast cars and fine clothes. All of these things will become boring. But the thing that will never become boring is what God is saying to you, what God is saying to others, and how we are partnering and participating with him in the world around us. And some folks that I've met who have had a long, long life of uh, ministry or mission participation, be it uh, from whatever perspective or angle they've come from, have said to me that uh, in their latter years, you know, in their retirement years, they feel more in tune and more partnership with God now than they've ever done when they're physically able and active. Because what they've done is they've slowed down and they now have time to hear the voice of God. And they pray and they see results and God is moving and they're going, why did I work so hard to do what I did in the past? Why wasn't I partnering with God in this way more often? Yeah, yeah, exciting, isn't it? Um, Just to round out this text this morning, I think I'll, I'll name some obvious things. It says here in Scripture, it says, reject every kind of evil. Okay, the obvious things are the moral evil, but in keeping with this prophetic theme this morning, uh, we know over years there have been some pretty outrageous cults that have caused people to take their own lives. The uh, Guyana event back in the 70s under the leadership of Jim Jones and nearly 800 people there took their own lives. Uh, The Davidian sect led by David Koresh in Waco, Texas. Uh, Similar thing. People were so convinced of their leadership and their prophetic insight of the world that they gave themselves up in a way to, to be uh, anti, anti uh, um, I suppose, anti the church, anti the world, and be so convinced that they were right. But the, um, the other evil that we are often having to work through is the subtle, subtle evil of spiritual abuse. You know, if you've got someone who's taking on that mantle of a prophet, and they think that gives them control over your life, then you have got a problem. You've got a problem, a big problem. And um, I've, I've run into, sadly, lots of Christians over the years. It's probably not as bad as it used to be. But a lot of Christians over the years who have been deeply hurt, deeply wounded by people who have taken authority where it's not their place to do so. Uh, and uh, this in itself is, is an evil. And so that's why the word says, that's why scripture tells us to test, to test these words. In other words, if someone comes to you and says, just like I explained before, this is what I think God is saying to you about your life. You need to take that to somebody whom you can trust, whom you can pray with, and they can help you test that word for your life. Okay, it's it's really, really um, a simple process. But if we don't do it well, we can end up being subject to the intimidation that comes from strong personality types. Okay, so here we go. I've jumped ahead of myself. Cult leaders and subtle spiritual abuse. And so I finished with this, uh, this word. And I'm just going to invite the, the music team out because I'm starting to run ahead of myself, run ahead of time, out of time. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil and you get to live the life that God has called you to lead. You get to live a life that is on the edge 
because you are hearing the voice of God. You're not treating prophecies with contempt. You're responding to the Spirit of God and you're allowing yourself to be led of the Spirit. That is what the Christian life is all about. It's not religion. It's not doing the same thing again and again. It's not just working on that whole moral compass of yours. It's deeper and bigger and more active than that. It is far more exciting because we serve a living God who is wanting desperately to live with us. Let's stand together. Father, we, um, we know that Scripture reminds us again and again of just how you want to engage with people right from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were created for your pleasure. And so it is that we are too created that we might partner with you to see the world know Christ. And God, we thank you for your spirit that moves so powerfully and so sovereignly in our midst. We thank you, God, for your life that is being outworked in us and through us. And Lord, we want to come before you and we ask your forgiveness for times, Lord, when we've resisted the word of God, resisted the prompting of the Spirit, resisted that word in season. Be that through our theology, which is pushed back on the activity of your Spirit, or be it just out of fear that this might lead us into something that we're not certain about. So God, in all these things, we come before you and we, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we do indeed want to be your children who are, uh, as, your, as your word says, who are like the wind. And everyone who is born again is like the wind and no one knows where they're coming or going. And that's not a negative, that's a positive because we're people who are free. Free to be your agents in this world. Free to bring a word of encouragement to somebody else. Free to receive that word in, in a way that... Uh, that helps us understand your will for our lives. And so God, we ask that you open the ears and the eyes of our understanding, that we would turn away these, these hardening of hearts, turn away from this tradition that we can wrap around ourselves, this religion that just keeps us safe in a bubble, but we end up being safe from you. So God, we ask your blessing upon us. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are sensitive to your spirit engage with you, Lord, in all ways, in all areas of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.